right, if you have the Bible, plus, please uh, turn to Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 to 28. That is our sermon this morning. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from this the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Javed took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of shame, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Javed and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Let's bow down our head in prayer. Our God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Bible that contain the truth and only the truth, Lord. We thank you that you hide nothing from us, but tell us all things that we need to know about us, about mankind, about you as well. So Lord, we pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will anoint us, anoint me to speak your truth and your truth only and be faithful your words. So Lord, uh, I pray that you guard my heart and my mind as I preach. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Right, most of us here, I believe and I'm sure, know about Ravi Zacharias very well. He is the world-famous Christian apologist and minister who founded Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. When he died in May 2020, he was praised for his faithful witness, his commitment to the truth, and his personal integrity. Even White House Press Secretary Kelly McEany and U.S. Vice President my pants were among many who expressed their sympathies for Zacharias following his death. He was admired by many Christians around the world, and many testified that they became Christians through his books and sermons. Now, however, 
reported Christianity today, it is clear that offstage, the man so long admired by Christians around the world abused numerous women and manipulated those around him to turn a blind eye. A 12-page report released by his own Ravi Zacharias International Ministries confirmed abuse by Zacharias at days past he owned in Atlanta and many more abuses in other countries as well. So people began to realize that a supposed spiritual giant, a world-renowned preacher could fall into sin. Zechariah is a story of failure to success in the eyes of the world. When he was just 17 years old, he tried to commit suicide by swallowing poison. But this is the turning point of his life. While he was in the hospital, a local Christian worker brought him a Bible and told his mother to read to him from John chapter 14. Zechariah said it was John chapter 14, verse 19, that touched him as the defining paradigm. Because I live, you also will live. He then committed his life to Christ and prayed that if Jesus is the one who gives life as it is meant to be, he wants it and he promised he would leave no stone unturned in his pursuit of truth. Well, such determination, talent, eloquence, and also his worldwide view very soon made him famous and got invited frequently as keynote speakers of many conferences around the world and even as a representative of the evangelical community at occasion such as the annual prayer breakfast at the United Nations. In 2015, according to Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, tax return, Zechariah and his wife earned a combined total of 523,926 US dollars from the ministry in that year alone. Well, such a success and high living should not be the envy of Christians because the fall from such a height will be devastating. It is certainly nothing new and it should not surprise us. Zechariah is not alone in that matter for there are many others. Let us look at our Bible now. The Bible always tells the truth. He doesn't hide anything. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, after the fall, there are two new beginnings after the fall. The new beginning that we see in the life of Adam in Genesis chapter 4 and the new beginning after the flood here in Genesis 9. 
It is interesting that in both new beginnings, the incidences in family life are chosen to illustrate the ongoing battleground between sin and grace in the fallen world. Between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent in the fallen world, in the family of Adam, we read the sad story of the conflict between two brothers, Cain and Abel, and one killed another, as you have known from my sermon. And immediately in the fallen world, the struggle in Noah's family between sin and grace continued. So then, to think that our passage this morning from Genesis 9 is primarily concerned with the promotion of moral living would be a terrible mistake. Instead, it is about the story of God's redemption and salvation for his people and the importance of family in this matter. In our scripture passage this morning, we find the righteous and godly man, Noah, fell into sin. Noah, whom the scripture describes as a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Genesis 6, verse 9, who did all that God commanded him, Genesis 6, verse 22, and built an ark because he believed in God even though he had never seen rain in his life, and being loved at and counted mad by people around him. And even in that predicament, he was able to keep himself separate from the moral evil around him, preaching righteousness and repentance without even seeing a single soul converted for 120 years. Noah, who went into lockdown inside the crime ark with all the animals and only eight human beings floating on turbulent flood water amidst God's severe judgment around him. In all this, he remained blameless and steadfast and came out of the ark remembering the first thing in his life to worship his God instead of caring for his own and family needs. Can't you imagine that? But now, in this new world, after the Lord removed all the ungodly from the surface of the earth, he sinned. He sinned. So then, firstly, our lesson. We learn that, the, that sin can strike anyone, even the godly and the spiritual giant. Verse 21. The story of Noah shows us how even the most righteous man in history of mankind can fall into sin especially after the victory of enduring severe trials 
We are often the most vulnerable when the pressure is off. When Noah was surrounded by wickedness, he lived righteously. Actually, even centuries later, through Ezekiel, God even listed Noah, including Daniel and Job, as three the most righteous men in history, which is recorded for us in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 20. But when all the surrounding wickedness had been removed from Noah, and he just lived with his own family, where he was the head of the household, okay? He sinned. Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. It is a reminder to all of us, and myself included, that no one is immune from sin. We, whoever, whoever we are, need to make sure we are not overconfident or careless or neglecting the grace of God and the means of grace and hence caught unguarded into sin. So please remember the means of grace, your fellowship with God, your church, that is the means of grace. Our past godliness does not guarantee future godliness. You don't build up immunity towards sin because you have been good all this while. Neither age nor maturity provides protection against temptation. We must walk in dependence upon the Lord daily. It is also a reminder to all of us that we should never idolize anyone and make him or her a perfect model to follow. It will surely be a disappointment. Young people like to idolize their heroes. And in this modern society, we have the American idol, the Singapore idol or whatever. But these are idolatry and in itself is a great sin against God. Christ alone is the perfect model that you have to follow. Secondly, we all easily become callous towards sin. Verse 21 to 23. We tend to say nowadays, well, it is okay, no big deal. Well, there are two sins mentioned in our scripture passage today, if you notice. Noah got drunk and Ham failed to honor his father. Which sin would the children of Israel view as being more serious? Did you ask that question? Which sins do you view as being more serious? Or are you surprised of the consequences that resulted in a curse? Why is it so serious? Let us firstly be clear that Noah's sin was not that he drank wine because wine itself is a gift from God. So the psalmist says about wine in Psalm 104, verse 14 and 15, you, i.e. God, caused the grass to grow for the livestock 
and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. However, drinking wine till drunk is strongly condemned by the Bible. Apostle Paul listed drunkenness with serious sins of the work of the flesh, such as sexual immorality, idolatry, and so on, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Well, it is not a no big deal at all. It is serious. Now, how about hand sin? What did hand do that justified a curse? The scripture tells us that hand sold, or literally the meaning is gaze at with lust, delight, or amusement, the nakedness of his father. In our moral loose modern culture, we shrug our shoulders and ask, what is the big deal? But it seems to me that our attitude reveals our own callousness towards sin. We are so used to having moral filth dumped into our lives every day through social media, films, and the television that we don't even know when we see it. Even worse, we find it funny and entertaining when we should be horrified by it. This is the reason why some Christian commentators think that the phrase should not be taken literally, they said. Instead, they say that hence seeing his father's nakedness is a euphemism or mild alternative for more serious sin, perhaps sexual abuse, they said. They pointed out the verses in Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20. For example, chapter 18, verse 7, which says, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. Or chapter 20, verse 11, which says, If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Very clever, right? But the problem with all these examples is that our text here says that Noah uncovered himself. While when the Bible talks of sexual violation as in Leviticus, examples that I have read, it used the phrase to uncover someone else's nakedness. They are different. That is very unfortunate indeed for Christian commentators to resort to such interpretation rather than just to take it literally. Well, Ham is not just that. Huh? He compounded his sin. He went and told his brothers, Shem and Japheth, not in a spirit of grief and concern, but with the attitude of disrespect upon his father, thinking that his brothers would share in his satisfaction. 
So it is clear that Ham's sin was not only about being morally loose, it was also a serious sin of dishonoring his father Noah. I said it is serious sin of dishonoring his father Noah. You may say, what? Is that so serious that justified a curse? So many nowadays dishonor their father. Well, when Moses read our Bible passage this morning to the children of Israel, most of the people immediately thought of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. In that culture of that time and in that place, honoring one's parents was viewed as a very serious matter. So serious that a disobedient son or daughter was to be stoned to death. Take it that, okay? Stoned to death. Listen to what Moses said to Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 and 19. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out of the elders, out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And verse 21, then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. That is the words of God. So serious that the rebellious son must be stoned to death. Now, our Shorter Catechism, question 64, extends the fifth commandment to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Those who observe the fifth commandment honor not only parents, but all human beings according to their positions. How we treat, how we treat others reveals what we think of our Father in heaven. To our leaders, whether they are in the government, teachers at school and our spiritual leaders, we are to submit since God ordains them all, as Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Be very careful then, brethren, 
we should not allow this worldly society of ours to influence us in our thinking and attitude towards sins. But know your Bible well and how God sees sins in our daily life. Now, thirdly, we notice that sin grows, multiplies, and spreads. Verse 24 to 27. It started with Noah, then spread to his son, Ham, and come to a full measure in the wiping up of the nations of Canaanites. Notice in verse 25, Noah did not curse Ham who sinned, but his grandson Canaan. So be careful of that. Don't make use of this verse to be racist, which many of even good Christians do so. Why was Canaan cursed instead of Ham who sinned? Interesting, right? Several things can be said. First, like it or not, we must recognize that the sins of parents do affect their children and grandchildren, sometimes for many generations. So Moses says in Exodus 20 verse 5 that God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Something that this is unfair but it is an observable fact of life. You can't deny that. It is the consequence of sin in family life. However, if this principle were to be applied, then all the sons of Ham, not just Canaan, but Cus, Egypt, and Put, should have been cursed as well. Right? So, I don't think that is good answers. So the better answer, perhaps, is that Noah's words are more of a prophecy than a curse. He is speaking an oracle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, predicting the cause of nations, not an individual. To understand this difficult passage, it will help if we understand Moses' theological purpose in writing Genesis. When Moses wrote these words, he was somewhere in the wilderness with the children of Israel. Most likely, it was shortly before the Israelites entered the Promised Land. Stephen Cole, a pastor, in his expository study of Genesis says, I quote, Moses was writing to a stubborn, disobedient people who were inclined to return to bondage in Egypt rather than to conquer the land of Canaan. He was about to die and would not be leading them into the land. He wrote the Pentateuch to show Israel God's pattern of blessing on those who obey him and cursing on those who disobey. He wanted to motivate Israel to endure whatever hardship was necessary to take the land. 
and to keep themselves from the moral contamination of the Canaanites. Israel undoubtedly had heard of the moral corruption of the Canaanites. When Moses' readers saw the words, Ham was the father of Canaan, they would have said, yes, Ham's corrupt conduct reveals him as the true father of Canaan. While these descendants of Ham and Canaan have gone far beyond what Ham did, nor is, no Israelites could fail to make the connection. The seed of Ham's sin had come to a full harvest in his descendants through Canaan. So Moses' purpose was to warn Israel of the evil practices of the Canaanites, to trace their sin to its source and to justify their subjugation through holy warfare. They are a people under God's curse because of their sins, unquote. So from Noah's sin, it spread to Ham and multiplied in his descendants through Canaan. By the time the children of Israel entered into Canaan, the sin had reached its full measure and the Israelites were commanded to wipe the whole nation out. I hope to speak on this again next of my sermon. My final point, the human race needs a new heart. Before the great flood in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And after the flood, the Lord again declares the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Chapter 8, verse 21. What this clearly reveals is that not even a cataclysmic flood would change the nature of man's heart. Now in our scripture passage today, we learn that even a renewed environment where all ungodliness has been removed by the Lord cannot eradicate sin from the human heart again. We must honestly recognize the need for a new heart because a renewed environment cannot eradicate sin. Nothing can. Our scripture passage today also shows us that sin is residing in the human heart and it is exerting its corrupting influence throughout the world. The old heart is under the dominion of sin. In the new world, the sons of Noah are the new progenitor of the human race, as you know. The ungodly line has been eradicated 
and therefore only the man who have direct connection with the covenant line. You remember the covenant I mentioned in my previous sermon. So only the man who have direct connection with the covenant line who are the new progenitor of the human race. One might think that there is a good hope for the future of mankind, right? And we all the covenant children because the covenant is universal. But several troubling truths very quickly become apparent. First, it becomes apparent that not all who are in the covenant line are a part of the covenant, as is the case with Ham. So Apostle Paul affirms in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, when he says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Second, it becomes apparent that even those who truly belong to the covenant of God are not without sin as well, as is the case with Noah. The battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent continues, and the lives of Noah's sons demonstrate the dominion of sin and the need for a new heart. This is the message of scripture. We need a new heart, and only God is able to provide us with a new heart. All humans have failed, and that is the promise God makes through the prophet Israel, uh, Ezekiel. Sorry, chapter 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Let me now conclude my message. In verse 29, we read Noah's obituary. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. It is the same obituary that we read over and over in Genesis chapter 5. So and so lived for so long, had so many sons, and he died. People live and people die. And this continues even until today. And the life of Noah reminds us of God's faithfulness the sinfulness of man and the continuing curse of sin. When Eve gave birth to her firstborn, he said, she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, and he named him Cain, which means gotten or gained. Basically, Eve was saying that the Lord had given her Cain as the gift to the fulfillment of the promise. What promise? Well, the promise of the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman 
who shall bruise Satan's head. There was so much hope that the curse of sin would be removed. But later Cain killed Abel, his own brother. The seed of woman seemed to be wiped up. And now what would become God's promise? Come to Genesis chapter 5, verse 29. We read that Lameh, the father of Noah, gave his name Noah and said, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief or rest because Noah sounds like the Hebrew for rest. From our work and from the painful toil of our hands. In a sense, that was true because Noah was the one used by God to save the world from the flood. But there was also a sense in which Noah could, would be unable to give us rest. Noah could only curse his grandson, Canaan. But he could not change his heart. Once again, the hope of humanity was dashed. Well, only Christ, born of a virgin, can break that cycle of sin and misery and ruin in the line of family and fulfill the promise of the seed of woman by giving everyone who believes in him a new heart. Yes, everyone who believes, including even the cursed Canaanites, can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. For our Savior has Canaanite blood flowing in his veins, you know that? Rahab, the harlot, the woman of Canaan, was a great, 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 great grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow down our heads in prayer.